I'm André Villas Boas, listening to Echoes of Glory. And don't forget, whatever happens, the future is bright, future is lily white. Come on, you Spurs. Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, season 10, episode 30. I'm Jack. I'm Steve. I'm Chris. And we were saying before we started recording how it feels like we've had the same chat since Chris has started joining us more regularly. And guess what? We're going to talk about another Spurs draw, another Spurs late goal conceded today against Newcastle. Um, oh, what a frustrating game, eh? I mean, I only I only managed to catch the second half of it live, but I've, I've watched the highlights on that back. Um, firstly, brilliant response to going a goal down, like... Like, if we're talking about the positives, that is absolutely fantastic. That you know, like a lot of teams that are struggling with confidence go a goal down, their heads drop, and you're like, Oh, that's it. None of that at all. Brilliant response. The Kane goals just, I mean, the second one, the finish is just absolutely clinical. Um, but it's the same thing, isn't it? You know, you get deep into the second half, you have chances to kill the game off, you don't take them, and then all of a sudden, like one ball in the box causes absolute chaos and they equalise and you know two more points dropped you know we've, we've only taken two points from Newcastle this season which is just you know like four points dropped there if you win both of those games like how much more healthy does the league look so it's very very frustrating um just it's a bit like Groundhog Day really isn't it with these games where you just sort of you one nil up or you two one up going into the last 15 minutes and I don't know about you but I was not surprised in the slightest because we've seen it so much this season. But I mean, what what did, what did you both think, and like, how did you feel like just at the fact that we you know it's another another game where we've dropped points? I don't know. For me, the long and the short of it is that eleven should be dispatching Newcastle. So it doesn't matter what you know. I'm sure we'll come on to what Mourinho said afterwards about you know the players, etc. But you know, it's we seem sort of tactically and mentally stunted and, and I kind of feel like this is going to be our reality while he's still in charge you know and what does a badly managed team look like maybe it looks like a comical series of mistakes as you know as players don't know how they should play defend or pass while you leave the likes of Newcastle who are floundering with 20 plus shots you know and whatever you think Oh, like we've got Chris. some solid players in that team. Some of the performances and results have been amongst the most humiliating for at least a decade. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, people are talking about Brendan Rodgers. Look at Brendan Rodgers. He must look with great envy at the likes of Son, Kane, Ndombele, Hoybier, Reguilon. And even if resources were available, which I don't think they they are, because we've we've seen what's happened with the debts that we've mounted, etc. The last eighteen months suggest that it wouldn't be a great idea to commit them to whatever direction Mourinho is trying to take us in. Mm. You know, because the defence is a problem, sure. But what about the many issues which kind of result in the defence being under constant pressure? And, you know, like they're not running, you know, where's that togetherness that we have seen from from the same set of players? I mean, I, I you know, I could go on and on and, you know, I'm sure ASD's got some stats for us, but I was just looking on the BBC website either and it was just like, you know, Spurs gifting things. Yeah. You know, we've dropped 11 points because of goals conceded in the final 10 minutes of games this season. The most of any Premier League side. That's just horrific, isn't it? It's horrific. And it's like the thing that worries me. Sorry, Chris. The thing that, that, yeah, no, that no, worries no. me and frustrates me is that they're not even high quality goals. It's no. like balls in the box and like... Or it's like a ball in the channel, and we just we just panic. Like well, we seem to have lost like that hunger to defend. Like you know when you watch a lot of teams, like you watch a back four, they get satisfaction from making clearances and blocking. And you know, for me, Joe Roden was the only positive. Again, like I, you know, everyone knows that I'm a massive fan of Tanganga, but I thought he was quite shaky throughout the whole game. But probably playing alongside Sanchez probably doesn't give him a great deal of confidence. But I thought Roden quietly went about his business and, and looked quite good again but we can't be pinning all of our hopes on a what is he 22 23 year old fairly unproven center half as good as he's looked we can't be pinning all of our hopes on him so it's just it's, it's yeah it's very frustrating he's proven at Swansea. sorry i'm just defending the welshman he's proven at swansea you know yeah, I, he's, he's he's playing at a very 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 high level you know the championship is you know top 10 league in the world 
What do you think about the fact that we haven't got a settled back four as well? Do you think that makes a difference? Oh, a million percent. Like, I think that that's such a problem. But I think that that's just so telling that sort of like any any half decent side, and I'm talking like top half Premier League eleven, have got a settled back four. Like, and you just have to have it for consistency, don't you? It's sort of like if you look back, like why, why are Man City doing so well this season? Yes, they you know they've scored a lot of goals, but they went on that run where they were just not conceding goals. Mm. And like you know, the argument for us is we were sort of doing that at the start of the season. You know, I know we had a few games where we did score sort of four, five, six, but in a lot of games we like it. It felt like teams couldn't score against us. We knew every player seemed to know what they were doing, and I think. If you're chopping and changing all the time, it's like it, it is obviously going to take time to to settle. Um, I, I just look at the back four and it's like, you know, Tanganga and Roden are two very promising young players. They really are. But a back four of Tanganga, Sanchez, Roden, Regulon it is, you know, it's not great, is it? If we're being completely honest, it's not a great back four. It's potential with Tanganga and Roden, but I'm not a massive Sanchez fan. I never really have been. I don't think that Regulon's been very good for the last month or so if I'm completely honest I think he's a very good player but I don't think he's been defending particularly great um and you sort of you're looking around aren't you in moments where you're struggling I think we've, we've talked about this a bit before where that's where you want sort of your bigger characters to be consistent for you and like that must be and you know I'm sort of I'm, I'm not really defending Jose too much anymore because I don't I don't really know how I can but you look you that's where he's probably looked at the likes of Alderweireld Davis, Dyer, and it's been a bit like like your experienced players, like this is where I need some consistency. And like even when they've played, they've not given him that either. So it's sort of like, you know, it's it's difficult to be like, where does where do we turn with the back four? I think he's just got to pick a back four and stick with it, which it seems like he's doing. Um for me, Tanganga and Roden have got to be part of it. But the, the problem there, isn't it, is that you've got two very, very young players with not a huge amount of experience. And you'd think on paper Alderweireld sort of sitting in the middle with Roden to one side and Tanganga on the right is the experience that, you know, those two would need. But for whatever reason, Toby can't get a look in at the minute. So it's very, very strange. It just feels like with the back four from out of nowhere, a player's just completely cast aside. And it's like, you know, you look at Eric Dyer, it's happened to him this season. But like he was being picked when logically you were like, he has to be dropped. Like, how can you have him in the side? And he kept playing him. Then all of a sudden... You know, he had a couple of half-decent games, and then he was out. Alderweireld was the first, so he's out. Sanchez is the flavour of the month at the moment, and I'm sure he's going to be out soon. It's, it's very, very confusing. But to answer your actual question, Chris, I think you have to have a settled back four. Whether or not you want to win the league, or if you're fighting relegation, you have to have a settled back four, otherwise it's going to be very, very difficult. It is. Go on, Esty. When the game finished, it was so predictable. It was so predictable. Nathan Cavin, a friend of the show, put money on it. I almost texted you guys to say, um, you people, to say it was going to concede the goal because you knew it was going to happen. It's a very like it's it's a very Spursy thing. Then this was the perfect game for us going opposition we haven't played well against previously, but in an awful run of form. No fans. I've been at the Gallagher. I went to. Do you remember it was Newcastle Liverpool where Liverpool had two they had the goalkeeper sent off and one went off injured, so they had an outfield player in goal against brilliant. Liverpool. It was brilliant. I was sat in the in the gullet and it was it was great fun. And they made so much noise. It was perfect for us. Um and then the game everything that happened happened and the game finished. And I softened on the Jose out, you know, because I thought, well, these are the same players that stopped performing for Pochettino they're not performing for Jose so and then he came out with that thing where he basically said that I couldn't believe it when he said you know when yeah. he was questioned by Five Live and said you know why why are you conceding basically uh, what you you're a manager known for your defensive capability what's going on he said same manager different players that was disgusting you, you don't you don't do that you don't call it out because you are the leader you are you take responsibility for for that output it was a very dated uh, comment for me like 20 years ago, that's the type of thing that like gets a reaction. But like the modern day player, apart from maybe the odd person, like I feel like somebody like Hoiberg might react well to that. I can't see another player in the Spurs dressing room that that would actually motivate. Like I really can't. Like it's just that calibre of the Roy Keane style player that reacts to being criticised doesn't really exist anymore. 
So it's like I was I was shocked when I read that that he'd actually said that because you I can't just think have been shocked though that's exactly that's exactly his vibe and if we'd won it would have been down to him mm. and it's back to what you I think it's back to what you were just saying about the back four there Jack you know think about those players that have just been cast aside one I wonder what's actually happening is he talking to them is he mm. saying to them actually these are the things that you need to do to get back in the side is he coaching them to say this is how I want you to organize you know because they haven't just forgotten how to play football well the, I I went back because I do you remember when we played Borussia Dortmund on the route to the Champions League final when we beat them mm. 3-0 I remember the team there wasn't a great team because we had loads of injuries and I've got it in front of me it's Lloris and then a back three of Foyth, Sanchez Older Verald, and then you've got Oria as a sort of in a in a in a four in front of them. So you've got Oria, Sissoko, Winks, Vertonghen on the left, Ericsson, Son and Mora. That's not a great team. That beat Borussia Dortmund 3 0. There's not the team that we had out yesterday was better than the one than that one that beat Dortmund. So what's going on? Why is it the players' fault? The players have to take some responsibility, but it has to be down to the leadership. I've got a list of the the, the, the concentration has to be down to the management. And I've got all the goals that we've conceded that have cost mm-hmm. us the points. So first one, Newcastle in the 97th minute in mm. September. That was awful. But that was a penalty, which I don't think was a penalty. It was, a, it was the die handball. So yeah. maybe you can discount that. Then in the last 15 minutes, uh, we conceded three to West Ham. That was oh, that was horrible. That was awful. And that the your point is so right. It's humiliating. We've had a lot of humiliating results. The Colchester one was one of the worst we've ever had. Not under Pochettino, mm-hmm. but that was a freak. But then and the Bayern one. Don't forget Bayern. that. Well, this is why we, I didn't go on about the the Chelsea uh, result. Like, I couldn't even enjoy that on in mm-hmm. social media because there's so many things for people to come back to us. And yeah. then in December we conceded two late goals to LASK in the group stage. Remember in the 84th and the 93rd yeah. minute, Palace in December, 81st yeah. minute Schlepp goal, Liverpool 90th minute Firmino goal, Wolves Roman Sice 86th minute, Fulham. Everton scored in the 97th minute in extra time in the FA Cup to knock us out. Zagreb um, to make it 3-3. They scored in extra time. And then Newcastle to an Arsenal low knee. It's just poor. And in the Premier League, it means we've lost 13 points. And in the Europa League, we've dropped two points in the group stage and been knocked out of the competition. And in the FA Cup, we've been knocked out of the competition because we can't just hold on to the league. Scathing stats, aren't they? Um, your, your question, actually, before you went through that is like, who is it? Is it the players? Is it the manager? And it's sort of like, for, for me, it, it falls on all of them. Um, but ultimately, it'll be the manager that pays the price because we've seen it time and time again at all clubs like that. You know, that's just the way that's the way football works. But there is a part of me that's like, you know, I play football at a way, way, way lower level than the Premier League. But you're given instructions by your manager. You're told how you want to plan all of that. But like ultimately, when you step on the pitch, it's up to you to win your battles and have the confidence to get the ball and play forward and be positive. And it's sort of like, yes, a manager influences it to a certain extent. But like when they're when you're on the pitch, it's like it's down to the players a lot of the time. And I just I struggle with some of them watching them to think, like, can you be doing more? And like that, I can't remember the last time I watched a Spurs game and thought they've all been at it and given their all in a game. But don't you think there's a point where. The players are, what do you do right now? That's down to the players. But what do you do next with the ball? That's down to the manager. And that seems to be a lot of the places where we're failing. And I don't know that it just, even though we were 2-1 up, it never felt safe because of the amount of opportunities they were creating. Like Again, they've had 17 shots inside the penalty area. That You can't do that because they will go Newcastle. in. Like, this, this is Newcastle. As well. We've Sorry. got their best players on the pitch. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the thing that I've, I've, I've spoken a lot about this season with Jose is still the patterns of play in possession mm. and other than Undembele doing something completely off the cuff that isn't like him just with a moment of brilliance we don't have a pattern of play about how do we break sides down we don't we just don't have it like there, there's no consistency in our attacks and we're reliant on the start of the season we were reliant on teams leaving space in behind and that was how we scored because Kane would get on the ball, Son would make a run. That would have, teams have wised up to that, so they sit a bit deeper when when there's a transition about to happen. So we're solely reliant now on Undembele, who, by the way, I thought was absolutely brilliant against absolutely Newcastle. Brilliant. Like yeah. one of the best games I've seen him have. Like his 
his forward passing was just on another level and he managed to get the ball 10 15 yards higher up than he normally does and like that's where he can really do the damage i thought he was as a side note i thought he was brilliant but as well as not having pass, uh, patterns of play when we're trying to score we don't have patterns of play when we're in front and we just, we just need to keep hold of the ball we we can't do it and it's like at 2-1 like get 65% possession like just control the game like slow it down and we've got the players to do it. Like, if you're looking at that, like the likes of Hoybier, Glacelso and Dembele should be able to retain possession and just keep it. And we don't seem to really have any ideas of how to do that either, which is one of the reasons why I think we're conceding so many late goals. Yes, we're defending deeper and deeper and deeper. But I guarantee you, if you looked at possession stats in the last 20 minutes of all of our games this season, like our possession would be less than 30% in most of these games because... We, we can't, you want to kill a game by scoring the third goal, right? And going, which we should have done with that Lamella opportunity. We're breaking, you think, feed Sun in, 3-1, it'd be game over. We don't take it. From then on, we didn't have the ball. Like we, we just did not have the ball for the last 10 minutes of the game. And I'm just watching it thinking, you know, this is a Newcastle midfield with Longstaff and Shelby in the middle of the park. like, And they're completely yeah. dictating play. And I just think we need to just get hold of the ball a little bit. And we just don't have a plan in possession when we need to score or we need to just kill, kill a game for 15 minutes and that is what is worrying and that for me is where it does fall on the manager stuff like that because that is what being a football manager at the highest level is that's how you coach your side so that stuff I think is Jose and it's pretty inexcusable but then some of the individual defending like just on their equaliser like Regulon stop the cross Sanchez and Tanganga head it like it, it, you know it's, it's like that type of stuff I feel for the manager because I'm like, what do you do when your fullback doesn't stop across and your centre half doesn't head it? It's, you know, what you can't do a great deal, but it comes back to the fact that if, if we were able to keep the ball a bit better and had more of an idea about what to do at two one, that situation maybe wouldn't happen. Great. If yeah, you sorry, think about a high performing team in any other context or in any context, it's down to the leadership and the culture. Because you could have really talented, you could have really talented individuals, which we know we've got. Like not all of them, I understand that, and some of them are getting a bit older or whatever. But you have really talented individuals that, you know, that you that that you lead and you build a culture that those individuals can work in, and that can you can look at that in any work context. And this is mm. the same one, and so that's the point there. You know, I think we said the other day, would Harry Kane be Harry Kane if he hadn't been coached in the way that he was coached by Pochettino? I mean, he might be because he's got his own his own desire and 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 stuff there. But you know, I saw something the other day. I can't remember who it was that used to. It was Herelio Gomez, I think. I saw something. With, I don't know if you saw that. Gomez was saying like he didn't think none of them thought yeah. the came would amount to anything. Mm. I I think if you swapped Pep and Jose, that we would start performing and City would start to drop off. I think that and that's that's the indictment. And um, but. I think there's positives, right? I think we know we know we know where we're at. I think Kane didn't do much apart from be brilliant at scoring goals. And now, from up to Joe, did you see he in 120 away performances in the Premier League, he scored 84 goals, which is the most away wow. goals by. Isn't by he on something like in the 49 games under Joe's? I think he's got 49 goals and assists. Like combined, it's like he's he's basically contributing to a goal a game, and it's like, and this is where this is in a side that are struggling as well. It's like incredible. I genuinely think if you put him up front of City, you get forty league goals in the season. Like I genuinely think that because it's like if you think Easy of the amount of chances that City create, like the amount of goals he scored for Spurs in the last two seasons, yeah. two and a half seasons, when we've been. You know, you forget that season where we didn't we didn't win away for nine months, did we in the league? And Kane was still scoring. <laughs> like he was still like you know the top one of the top scorers in the league. So you imagine what what he could do in a in a real top side. It's like it's difficult. And there's obviously there's obviously been a lot of talk about him again this week, isn't there? And like his interview after the game where he looked far from impressed. Due to the fact that we conceded another late goal. Um, he must be so he must be tearing his hair out at the moment yeah. with it. Like it must be so frustrating. Because he must be thinking, like, I want to lead this team to big things. I don't want to go. But then you see some of the defending. You, he, he must have moments where he thinks, what am I doing here? Well, the, it's, 
it's worth saying, putting into perspective, I think if you have a look at our top league scorers since the Premier League started, 92, because that's obviously when football started, I think Sheringham on 21 was our top scorer, and Bale did it in 2012. And then Kane's come through, you know, 15, 16, 25 goals, 16, 17, 29 goals, 17, 18, 30 goals. Like, it, we're just spoilt by the man. Yeah. Um, and and then we've already mentioned them, but Endon Ballet I thought was brilliant. Like, yeah. was, was unbelievable and you know we we've had the argument where about who control whether Dembele old Dembele controlled the midfield I don't think he controlled the midfield as much as you do Jack because I think he he held on to the ball too much and drew, drew players in and then like it was almost like an emergency pass at the end of it but forget I'm not starting that again it's in Dembele was brilliant I thought Rodon was really good and I thought it's worth celebrating that in the in in amongst all the negativity and maybe there is blame to be put on the players. Obviously, the manager. I, I totally agree with you, Chris. That it's always leadership. It's always down to leadership. The, the 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 good teams are run by good leaders, and we are lacking that in a minute. But I'm almost going forget the manager now because these are the players who essentially have let down Pochettino, who let down Mourinho as well. Is that something has to change there as well? Mm. But I we've been saying that for ages. I, 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 we can't I, let I, them I, off the hook. I get yeah, that. Yeah, can't yeah. let the players off the hook. Um, but there are still moments. There are still moments where they, you know, what's happened to Hoybier? You know, he's. I think he's a terrific player, and he's done all. You know, like he's kind of showed us at the first half of the season, like he was really, really up there. Something's changed with him. I don't know what's got. You know, what's gone on there? He hasn't suddenly forgotten how to play football. I had to listen to it. They were singing his praises all throughout the game. So maybe, maybe I mean. I don't necessarily mean yesterday. I think he did well yesterday, but I think more generally, it's like he hasn't been at the level. Now, maybe you can't you can't just be you that consistent throughout the you know all season, which is also sort of possible because I think all of that as well comes with um, a happy, high performing team. So you know, if you are a happy, high performing team that feels like you're pulling towards the same thing and that there's there's a great goal ahead of you and all the rest of it, then you are more likely to kind of maintain that consistency and all the rest of it but yeah you don't want to let them off the hook because I think you know Jack sort of as as sort of um set it out as winning the individual battles is down to the players but then what you do with it is down to the manager and I get that and we're not doing either yeah that, that's that, I was going to say that's played the exactly most minutes sorry he has, right he has played the most minutes yeah but then you don't feel like you know as I say well what do I know like you know, I've run a Sunday league team, but I know the teams that I've run that have been the best is when they love when they love each other. Yeah. You know, the the team that I ran that was the best, we used to meet when we had a big away game. We used to meet for breakfast in someone's house or at the bagel shop in um, in Dalston. And we'd like hang about for half an hour if it was at the bagel shop or we'd be in someone's house and everyone would just have a lovely time. And and then it really translates onto the pitch because you won't be able to get your mate. Yeah. Sure. Chris, oh, you're gone. I've lost her. Can I, uh, well, Chris has got a really, Chris, you disappeared then halfway through. But, um, yeah, I, you, I got my, at, you got my, you got the things got the like chance. at that level, you know, like you're going to have people with differing abilities, but even the ones that were really talented would happily run that little bit extra to get their, their mate out of trouble. Yeah. But this is, this is it, isn't it? This is what we say about any workplace It's having a good positive culture. And it's, and it's just like, there doesn't seem to be that at Spurs anymore. But what worries me the most is the argument is we probably had the most incredible, certainly in my time watching Spurs, the most incredible togetherness, bond with a manager, team culture, all of that. And they didn't react, do you know what I mean, towards the end. That yeah. wasn't enough. So I just, yeah. I, I do look at the group and I just sort of, I scratch my head to be like, how how can you react? And I still think that going the polar opposite with Jose at the time was a good move because it's like, well, this doesn't work why not try something different that hasn't worked at all so it's sort of like well where what happens now and it just feels like a very strange time and again it doesn't excuse how inconsistent we've been but like Chelsea lost 5-2 to West Brom at the weekend like 
we're, we're still in the mix for top four. You know, I don't think personally we're going to get it, but we're still in the mix for top four. There's still the cup final. It's sort of like you could still end up having an unbelievable season. Not that we would deserve it, but it's just such an odd time for football at the moment that yeah. it feels like we should be about 12th. It doesn't feel like we're like a, we were a win from being in the top four. Like that just yeah, feels yeah. so strange to me. Well, well West Ham winning two 0 and it's only fourteen minutes. Only fourteen <laughs> minutes of uh, have elapsed. So Whoa. I think they're going to find themselves in the top four come in an hour or so's time. Uh, talking about the final, the biggest defeat in the final. One of our players played in it. <sighs> Can you tell me who it was? Biggest defeat in a final. The biggest defeat in the Football League Cup final was within the last 10 years. Was it? I t- was it I t- Swansea? Yeah. Bradford? Was it 5-0? <laughs> oh, yeah, and it was Ben was it? Davis and Michelle Vaughan was on the bench. Yeah. I, we might help beat that record. <laughs> I'm a little bit... <laughs> I don't know. I, I still, you know, that's the other thing about being a Spurs fan, isn't it? You're eternally, weirdly sort of optimistic yeah. and and sort of completely sort of fatalistic at the same time. Yeah. So even though we're having this whole conversation, I still think, oh, it's a one-off game. We might be able to pull yeah. something out of the bag. It's like if, yeah. if, if it was any other team, you'd be saying you've got no chance of beating Man City. But because it's your own, you're like, oh, you never know. Like someone's yeah. got to beat them. Like football's yeah. made for upsets. We've seen enough against us. Why can't we do one? Uh, I think one other thing just about the um, the game, of course, was um, the racism that Davinson Sanchez was subjected to afterwards oh, on social media. And it's just like, I, I can't even begin to say like how unacceptable that is and I don't care whether you're a Spurs fan or not a Spurs fan the fact that you choose to do that and also you know as a Troy Townsend from Kick It Out was you know there from last night I haven't seen today that account was active for many many hours after that Mm. so what are the social media platforms actually doing they've got to take action because all that online hate has got to have real world consequences you can't just go do that with impunity just go and do it with impunity um but I mean, I don't like the thing is, I, it, it's the thin end of the wedge, because obviously that stuff is like the, the sort of the heinous end of it. But, you know, I'm in various WhatsApp groups where Sanchez is being absolutely panned. And it's like, what good is that? What good is that? And that that because that, again, contributes to the culture we've just been talking about. Because if you haven't got a culture where you're saying, Do you know what, like you might have a bad game, but we're not going to pan you for it every single time. I find it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my dad's an armchair fan, right? Love my dad, but he's an armchair fan. He's a Manchester United fan, never been to Old Trafford. But yeah. I, I give him this because he grew up in a small village in Cyprus. So even the Munich air disaster kind of got through to them. So that's mm-hmm. why he's a Manchester United fan. But he's never really played football either. And so he's very much like, why can't he do that? Oh, I can't believe he's lost the ball. And oh, headers are easy and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's part of that. It's like you've got, lo- you know, lots of people engage with football. And quite rightly, I want as many people to engage with it as possible. But you can't expect every pass to make it. You can't expect every shot to go in. You can't expect not to lose the ball and all the rest of it. And so I think that can, that kind of culture of of everything having to be perfect. So, like, you know, if Sanchez does lose the ball, you don't know what people's characters are. That kind of confidence could, could really knock a player. I don't know. Mm. so I find all of that really tough as well and I just think you know from a Spurs perspective we are one of the clubs I think that's got a really good approach to dealing with online discrimination you know where we can we kind of root things out and you know we start with like sort of an education basis because that's important um but I think the social media platforms need to do more I mean you can't even yeah. I completely agree with you. Like, I, I think you made some brilliant points there, Chris. And I think on the social media stuff, like, I still can't understand why there isn't like verification when you set pages up now. Like, why, you know, like, I don't understand. Like, surely there can be something like that you have to like prove your identity or whatever in order to set something up. Like, and then it makes it much harder to just hide because you know you could just set an account up, hide behind something, and send horrid abuse. And there's no, there's just no consequences to it, which is unbelievably shocking. Um, I think your point on 
you know, people just slaughtering players in general for bad performances. Uh, this to sort of doesn't. This is my view on it, and it doesn't sort of justify it. But I think that everybody in the last year, everyone's emotions are just so heightened all the yeah. time. Yeah, and yeah. Because like, oh, I feel it like a tiny little thing that, like a year ago, I wouldn't even give a second thought. Can really like bug me, or it can really get me angry. It can make me really happy. Like my emotions go up and down so easily now. Um, just because I think that's the world we now we now live in, it's so weird and strange that I think like a slightly under hit or over hit pass, and people are like, "That's it, not good enough to like." You just completely write them off straight away, and it's like it doesn't justify it, but I do think that that has a massive, massive play on it. And um, I was actually talking to my dad a couple of days ago about football. You know, he's like he's as big as a Spurs and football fan as you'll ever meet. You know, his knowledge is just second. So he's been to all the like. You know, you could say you could mention a game from the 80s and he could tell you exactly where he was, what he did before the game. Like, it's, it's brilliant hearing his stories. And I was saying to him, I was like, how do you feel in terms of like, how engaged are you with football now? And he was he was saying to me, he was like, probably the least that he's ever been. And it's like, I feel like everybody's just not as engaged anymore as, as what they once were, which is very, very strange. Um, but it's just a reflection on the times that we're living in at the minute. But it's, that's the paradox as well, though, isn't it? It's like you're both not engaged and much more kind of sort of angry about yes. the misplaced pass. Yes. And so and I think that's something to do with where we've been in the last year and where people's heads are at. But I also think it's something to do with a very much um, how polarised just the world is. It's like it's one thing or another. There's no yeah. nuance. <laughs> There's no mo- bits of grey. It's either one or the other. And I think somehow we have to figure out how we can sort of elevate ourselves from that. And social media has got a lot to do with it because actually it's the banging. It's the drum banging that kind of, you know, seems to get the traction or whatever. And actually, you know, life is never that straightforward <laughs> to have it either this be is... one or the other. Mm. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that this is very much a, a passion point and a professional point um, for me that the the way and I can tell you, we, we know exactly why the social media companies don't do anything about it, because they, they don't have any regulation. There's no regulation for it. So the social media companies make their money by showing adverts to people. Right. And the way you should get more money from that is you keep get people on the platforms and get them to stay there. And so you show people content that keeps them engaged and keeps them on the content for longer they don't show porn and so the other things that keep you online are things that make you emotional and the things that make you more um extremely emotionally happy funny content stays on there and the algorithm also optimizes the stuff that makes you angry which is your political content and so if you start off a little bit right they'll show you something that's a little bit more right so it um angers you and it, it continues on until you end up in the echo chamber and then they show you adverts that within it and they make more money and so if you ask someone to sign up with a credit card or a passport then fewer people are going to sign up which means fewer ads are going to be shown which means they make less money so they and they also they don't because they there's a law in america which uh, basically says that they're not a content company because they only show what people put on there but my argument is that if you make any decision about what to show and what not to show someone then you're taking editorial responsibility and you have to be regulated as if you have editorial responsibility Mm -hmm. like a newspaper like a news channel uh, at least a news channel in the uk and they're not and we are seeing partisan politics because of it and we're seeing this faceless ability to be incredibly damaging to young men and young women, obviously, but we're talking about young men here um, who are just doing their job. And also the Premier League have got, um, have got to take responsibility because they've create, they've purposefully created a product where people buy into it through FIFA, through all the content that they put out, through increasing the prices, through pricing it out and making it not about us being at the ground, about it being something that is a privilege for us to watch, whether it's whether it be on a paid for platform or whether it be, um, or yeah, whether it's on paper platforms, there's no way to watch it for free anymore. And they, they've created this distance between people, and so people think that they, they, they need to have some form of ownership. And it's a disgusting, it's a disgusting money grab from both sides, and that's why we're we're in this situation. And 
it's a very sad situation. But on the flip side, it's the way professional sports go. You have a look in America. You have a look at how those professional sports, the, the fans aren't as much a part of it. It's, it's a bit like theatre. It's, it's a production now. Mm. That's exactly the way we're going. It's, if you want to go back to the way it was, it'll never be like what your dad grew up. It'll never be like what we grew up watching, even 10 years ago. It's never going to be that. It's never going to be White Hart Lane. The new ground will never be what we want it to be ever, and we just have to get used to that. If you want, if you want that, go and watch the women's team. Go and watch your local team. Like I'm gonna go start going watching Stevenage when when it's open because mm-hmm. that that's that's what I love. That that thing, that being close, being part of it. Like a couple of seasons ago, um, the Stevenage players, all of them, went around the local community, knocking on doors, talking to them about the game, saying, "Look, we need your support." Like you'd never get Spurs doing that because they're millionaires who, who ferry in between the game, who ferry in between grounds. They don't know what it's like for us. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're so desperate for that connection. We put Benny on a on a pedestal because he gets his hair cut in a, in on Tottenham mm-hmm. High Road. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not what it is anymore. But, you know, Chelsea losing 5-2 is funny and that makes me happy. <laughs> you know? I also so, love that with that Chelsea game, so I watched like the first 20 minutes of it in my car because I I, I was playing Saturday um, and uh, Glenn Hoddle was on the commentary and as part of the build-up, they were sort of talking about how the West Brom approached the game and he went, if we're being realistic, the only way West Brom this, win this game is by winning 1-0. <laughs> it was like, at <laughs> half-time, they were 2-1 up. Chelsea had 10 What a crazy game that was. It's just like... No one saw that. Chelsea have looked great since Tuchel's come in. And then all of a sudden, you know, a side that can't score, get five. You just, it's such an unpredictable um, it's a free season. Do you remember they did that 3-0? I remember really specifically, they did it 3-0. We did a podcast face-to-face once. I'm looking at you, Jack. And I had turned my phone off and my wife had been ringing me because she had chopped the top of her finger off, opening a bag of edamame beans. So I had to ping it up to Watford, Watford General, because the two closest hospitals were full. So I'm I sorry, ping it edamame beans. Like, it's the most middle-class injury ever. It's amazing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway. I do remember that, though. That was proper strange, wasn't it? That was 3-0, I think. But yeah. they've got it in them. Uh, I've got a reminder, it? actually, of... Um, the FA Cup semi-final in 2012 where Chelsea beat us like quite substantially if you remember but I got a reminder that um we were in row two for that game and it was block 140 at Wembley so it was sort of in line with the 18 yard box Mm. and one of my greatest moments if, of my like football supporting career was um that I shouted at John Terry that he was a racist and he responded Oh, I love it. Yeah, so he like responded with the score, and I said, "Score lines can change. You'll always be a racist." And then he continued to respond. But then it was very, what was very funny was that you know like because he responded, obviously everyone got excited. But we did it. It was just because we lost five one, I think. So a lot of people had gone home. So it was just like us in the second row with very few people around us. And uh, yeah, that's kind of one of my proudest football moments. That's right. That's Is that great. the one where? We Ericsson played the ball into Delhi. Was that that? No. No, this was 2012. Oh, that was 4-2, wasn't it, that game? The yeah, 5-1 so was... was Lampard scored a ridiculous right. free kick for, I think, 5-1. Adebayor scored. Like, he scored. Bale went through, squared it to Adebayor, and Adebayor yeah. tapped it. Bale had been taken out, and it's like, it would have been a pen and a red, but we scored. I remember. Um, yeah, we yeah. didn't play that bad. Like I remember the first half an hour in that game, us playing really well, and Drogba just scored a Drogba goal, where yeah. it just got it got sort of uh, smashed up to him about from yeah. about seventy yards away. He brought it down, went past both and scored, and it was like, oh, like yeah, actually this guy's pretty good. And from then on, it was sort of it was, it was a bit of an uphill battle. Drogba is one of my fav- all-time favourite players to watch. I just I unbelievable player. Anyway, let's not talk about Chelsea. Um, so we talk about got- the United game a little bit. No. <laughs> so we all we all think we're going to win comfortably. Then great. We probably um, will now. Like, probably but but right. As inconsistent as poor as as we've been, um, United dug out a two-one win, didn't they, last night against Brighton, yeah. which is big for them. This is a huge game in terms of like the top four. Like you know, if if we if we could somehow beat them, you know, let's not forget we beat them six-one earlier on in the season. I know that we were on fire then, and they were all over the place, but. Crazier things have happened. Um, it's going to be a tough game. We're going to have to play really, really well. And we're probably going to have to score three or four goals to win it. Um, so that's got nothing to play for. 
we are going to all we're going to have to do all of that. But they've got nothing to play for, have they? Because the the league's out. The second's almost guaranteed. I th- that it'll be hard to motivate them for a game like this. I think without a crowd. So I unless, think that, unless Solskjaer motivates them to the point of you you lot had Jose as a boss, he dug you all out. Yeah, you know, that if I was the United, that'd be how I'd be motivating them. Sort yeah. of saying you're up against the guy that slated all of you. Like let's go and prove a point that you know you're good player. That that sort of would be my tactic. But yeah. they've got some good players United. Like Bruno Fernandes is one of the best players in the Premier League. He's a brilliant player. I think they should put um, his. You know it's Kun Aguero on the back of Aguero because he's got that nickname. I think it should be Fernandez Pen because that's all I ever see. Fernandez. Fernandez. Um, it's going to be a tough game, but I still look at that United side and I look at their back four and think you can get at them. Like any team really can get at them and cause them problems, just whether or not we're able to apply ourselves. But who knows what the scoreline's going to be with that. 3-1 Tottenham. Chris? I'll take that. Oh, yeah. 1-1 probably. Yeah, or 1-1 one, one with a late United equaliser. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you got a quiz for us, ASD. Yeah, I like the. I'll give you clubs, and I've got eight players. I'll just give you clubs, uh, and I got we got dug out because where Charles was screaming that <laughs> when you were doing Chimbonda, uh, so got to up your game. Okay, they're all relatively recent, so there's no black and white players, for example. Uh, the first one, okay, Dinamo Strav- Stavropol. Then he went to Rotor Volgograd. And then went to Rota 2 Volgograd on loan. Then Spartak Moscow. Then Tottenham Hotspur. Pavlyuchenko. Pavlyuchenko, indeed. Then Lokomotiv Mod. He's still playing. One of my his... favourite ever talk sports shows was people ringing. I don't know if you ever heard it, but it's on I YouTube. Exactly it's so well. <laughs> yeah. People ringing up, singing Pavlyuchenko <laughs> songs. Yeah. Roman, Roman, Roman Pavlyuchenko. Pavlyuchenko, <laughs> it's true. I love that one. It's still, I still got it kind of goes around my head sometimes. Oh, it's, he, just, um, it's the songs that don't really rhyme, and they, they try and yeah. force it, and it's just it's so funny. Yeah, so funny. His two goals against was it Birmingham to send them down? Do you remember that the two-two away at late last game of the season? Oh yeah, he bent yeah, one like top corner, good. didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He, he was brilliant at times. Like he scored he some great, great finisher. Goals. He, he, he was a really, really great finisher. But I just think you need to be more than that in the Premier League. Like you, you know, a top club, you've got to have more to your game, and he just. You know, he just he just didn't. Yeah. He's still playing now. He's playing there. Uh, is he? Is it like mayor of? Isn't he a politician Probably. now? Is that not him? Not that I know of. Okay, maybe I've got that wrong. Okay, next player. Lovely lad. A G O V V Appledoran. Then he went to Devante. Then Tottenham Hotspur. Then he went to West Brom. Then Monaco. It's not Chad. Chadley. 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 Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Beautiful man. He's got that some great, great goals as well. Su- Sprom when they got him, that was a great signing, but it, yeah. didn't, it didn't quite happen, did it? Uh, he played well. I think he played one. Uh, he was there for two years, but only played 36 games. I remember and watching his debut for West Brom, which was against West Ham, and I think he scored two and set one, and West Brom beat him about 4 0, and it was just brilliant. Yeah. He, he scored against us as well, didn't he? When he came back, yeah, of course he did. Right then, this is uh, this should be quite easy. Leeds United, Newcastle United, Real Madrid, Jonathan Woodgate. Yeah, okay, it's brilliant though. <laughs> Newcastle United to Real Madrid, Middlesbrough on loan from Real Madrid, <laughs> <laughs> Middlesbrough, Tottenham Hotspur, Stoke, Middlesbrough. Um, there's some people who won't know about Woodgate, but Woodgate, I mean, obviously scored the goal to win our last cup for us in 2008. Uh, also, Real Madrid legend, because he's, what did he get scored, sent off on his debut, yeah. but he tried to learn Spanish from the off, and uh, they loved him for it. Brilliant defender as he well. Was an, really he was brilliant. an excellent player. Like, he really was. And, like, you know, we had him and him and Ledley in that cup final, which was two of the most injury-prone centre-halves you'll ever see. But 
they were both excellent. And you, know, you look at Woodgate, it's like he was never blessed with the most pace in the world. He wasn't like the biggest or strongest. He just read the game so well. He was very similar to Ledley in that respect that, you know, he was just sort of, the, the reading of the game as a centre-half was brilliant. But he, he was a very, very good player. Like, he did more than a job for us in the short time that we had him as well. Oh, I hate to be, I just hate to sort of be, to always kind of add all this stuff in, but I still can't get over him because of that racist attack that him and Lee Boyer did in the early 2000s. What's that they got acquitted, of course. Did you not know that? Know that? No. Yeah, it was 2000 and... I think it was probably 2000. Yeah, they beat someone up and then they got uh, they and it was and it was racially motivated, but and they got let off. Bloody hell. I didn't know about that. That's, That's awful. awful. Yeah. That's I find awful. that no, no, just no. like uh, no, no, no. I, I mean, I just find it really difficult because you know, and I know that they're just kind of like they're men like you know they're people like everybody else, and then obviously they have. But the thing with Woodgate though is that he was more. Um, he showed more remorse than Boya. Mm. So I think he had a bit more sort of forgiveness around him in that sense. And that he like, actually looked like he wanted to like make a change from it as well. Manager at Bournemouth. He's manager at Bournemouth. Yeah. No, but I, this stuff is, is, is the most important stuff. Mm. But, and there's a point where I don't think you can separate the artist from the art. You know, I, I wouldn't listen to Gary Glitter now, for example. Um, now, if people come out and apologise and show genuine, genuine, um, genuine yeah, and want to change remorse. and sort of yeah. show their their actions and want to make, you know, but we haven't make seen reparations that, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's anyway. disgusting. OK, I'll leave that <laughs> one. No, no, no. Don't apo- never apologise for that. Uh, I wish I knew earlier. Next one. Wolverhampton Wanderers, Coventry City, Inter Milan. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of my favourites. Have you listened to the episode, the podcast, the new Jimmy Bullard podcast? Is it Off the Hook, I think it's called? And Robbie Keane's on there and he's just telling stories about, you know, his career and about how Beckham got him to go over to LA. And it was all, basically that started because Beckham come to train with us. Do you remember that? Yeah. And there were rumours we were going to sign him, like, but Beckham was training with us and basically yeah. started teeing Robbie Keane up about, oh, do you want to come over to LA? And was giving him the the sell about Tom Cruise and, you know, all the lifestyle and all that stuff. And it's really, really interesting listening to him. I just can't believe it's like a 20-year-old he went to Inter Milan. Like, he was 20. Like, that is just... Yeah. And he was saying on that that only Christian Vieri and Clarence Seidel spoke English. Like, no one else spoke English in the whole club. Mm. It's like, imagine and- that 20-year-old Irish kid... Yeah. Playing for one of the best sides in the world with those guys. It's incredible. One thing I always remember about him was him playing in the game just after his dad had died. And mm. there was a whole thing about how he was really close to his dad and he scored in that game. And there was just something really, I still feel emotional thinking about it, just sort of seeing him celebrating. Mm. And you could just sort of see that it really, that's what it, what it meant to him. Because, of course, yeah. it's like Robbie Senior, but he's got a kid called Robbie as well, hasn't he? So there are like three generations mm. of Robbies. Of Robbie Keane's. Remember when Lampard scored a penalty like a few days after his mum had died as well, and that was a, a very yeah. emotional time yeah. as well, wasn't it? All right. Uh, next, he started for Angyang LG Cheetahs, then went to PSV Eindhoven. Sure. Then he came to Tottenham. Then he went to Borussia Dortmund. Then Al Hilal, and then Vancouver Whitecaps. Ooh. PSV Tottenham Dortmund. Who's that? I can give you. I can give you the no, years. No, if no, you no, no, hang on. So, uh, PSV. It wasn't. Was it? Um. Oh man, I can see him. Young Pio Lee, you Lee Young Pio. Lee Young Pio. Oh, great shout! <laughs> yes. Absolutely brilliant. Oh. Yeah, Leon Pierre left yeah, back. High hopes for him as well. Didn't ever quite. There was a whole series of left backs around that time that all promised mm. something and delivered very little. So Leon Pierre, Reto Ziegler, wasn't to it? Was a tuba. Do you remember Chris Atuba's goal at Newcastle that he scored? Oh. Where he like dribbled past for him, bent in the top corner, yeah. and I was like, that can't have been a tuba. Surely <laughs> not. Surely not. And even he in his celebration, he didn't know what to do, did yeah, he? He was so shocked. Yeah. <laughs> right then. 
uh, a few to get through. FC Villainous, LKS Lodge, Pau de Acucar, Bragantino, Corinthians, Tottenham Hotspur, Guangzhou Evergrande, Barcelona, Guangzhou. Paulinho. Paulinho, indeed. Paulinho. I mean, another weird player, like the, really strange player. Part of the magnificent seven, but the the weirdest thing was that year at Barcelona where he smashed it, played thirty four times, nine goals. Yeah. What? <laughs> what there was loads of stuff he, about that, wasn't there? That there was it was like Barca and some dodgy tax evasion stuff, like because didn't yeah. they like they they like sold him and then got him on loan? It was there was some really weird, Barcelona do the weirdest transfer business, like the whole getting rid of Arthur and getting Pjanic with Juventus. And it was like the, the transfer fees were like so specific that it was like just under a certain tax bracket. So dodgy. So dodgy. dodgy. Right then. Rangers. Tottenham Hotspur. Alan Hutton. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Jack, you're on fire tonight, mate. So. Uh, yeah, Rangers, Tottenham. He went to Sunderland on loan from us. What's your favourite Alan Hutton story? I'm sure it's the same as mine. He headbutted his dad outside a pub. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a chip move. shop. He went on loan to Real Mallorca. <laughs> like, he nicked yeah. a loan move to Real Mallorca. Who, what part of Real Mallorca's scouting have gone, we need a right back. There's a Scottish right back playing, struggling at Spurs. Let's yeah. get him on loan. Like, that is the strangest <laughs> bit of business. With skin more sensitive than 35 mil film. Yeah. Like, he's a Scottish man. Oh, he was bad, wasn't he? But I remember him having a brilliant cool. debut. He made his debut against Man United in what I think was a nil-nil home draw and played against Ronaldo. And he was brilliant. And everyone was like, oh, we've got a player here. And then that was that was the end of him. <laughs> wasn't, he there, wasn't he there in our Champions League year? Wasn't he there at the first yeah. Champions League year? Yeah. He was all right. I also Apparently remember him having on... an absolute stinker in the 4-4 at Arsenal. Like, literally, like, giving two goals away. He's literally, like, just passed it straight to the Arsenal attack. Oh, yeah, bad player. He was included in Stuart Pearce's provisional 191-man long list of players for the 2012 London Olympic Football <laughs> Tournament. What a list of it. Was he 191st by any chance on that list? <laughs> oh, man. That was, that was, all that was the, so all funny, the, wasn't it? All the UK players that were playing in the Premier League at the time, surely about 191 yeah, yeah. of them. Because yeah. it was basically England with, oh, what's his face? The guys at Man City, the Welsh one, golf club. Um, Greg Bellamy. Yeah, who refused to sing the national anthem, which obviously I loved. Um, anyway, let's move on. Final one. I've got a lot of love for this man. Um, Olympia. Then he went to Birmingham City on loan. Wigan, Tottenham, Stoke, Miami. Palacios. Olympia, Palacios. Yeah. So, oh, just tried hard. Just tried his best. He had five brothers who were all signed to Olympia. Now, do you remember there was that thing where his brother Bro- was kidnapped? Kidnapped, yeah. yeah. And he sat outside Harry Redknapp's door overnight to not wake him up to... Because what had actually happened, which I've just read before coming on the show, was that his brother was 14 and was kidnapped and in t- 2007. And then it was only two years later that they found the body. And that was that was what he wanted to fly home for, to, to go and have the funeral for his brother, basically, after they paid a ransom as well. So it's really sad. And he was never the he same was after never the that, same after. I, yeah, I always so thought sad. that. It just like he couldn't. Oh, it was awful. It's just awful. Mm. You know what? He was a good player for us, Palacios. Like he was, a, he was, he was very, very limited. But he was at the time exactly the type of thing we needed, wasn't he? Like just we were very soft. He was, re- he was a Redknapp signing, wasn't he? Redknapp come in and got him. I think he was in the January, and he, he was just, he was perfect for what we needed at the time. Really, really good player. And we sold him on for was it about ten million to Stoke? Like I don't mm. know how we got that much money for him, and he, like he barely kicked the ball mm. again after us. You've reminded me actually. I saw him walking down Tottenham High Road the day of the new stadium opening. Really? He had a really nice, like, smart black jeans and a smart black coat. And I was like, it looks really familiar. And then I realised it was Palacios. And then I just thought there were so many people walking down. I thought, if I stop him, he's just going to get stopped by everybody. And so, actually, it was just, like, really nice to see him walking down the street, Mm -hmm. like, with the rest of us towards the stadium. 
Yeah, he was. He was. He's one that I would just want to give a hug to if I ever saw him. You know, just yeah. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's right. I oh, quite like. I just. I quite like starting with complaining about Jose Mourinho and ending on a hug for Wilson Palacios. <laughs> If, oh, only every, yeah. if only every Microsoft Teams meeting that we all did every week started to finish like that, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. Real well. Until Great next week. Or actually, do we, is there any other business before we before we wrap up? Um, I think everyone should look at the Tottenham Hotspur trusts, um, Tottenham Hotspur supporters trusts, like latest tweet tonight, which is they've got thirty six questions <laughs> around the. Um, the tickets for the cup final not just tickets but how the testing's going to work mm. and just like loads of really really good questions and i think they're absolutely right to think to say that the you know supporters trust because they're you know the the good supporters trust like ours are very very well informed and they do really good work and to have made these decisions without consulting actual fans mm. you know particularly when you're trying to say we're test what are you testing what are you testing for? And if you're trying to test it for something else, then it's the fans you want to be talking to as part of a bigger thing. So it's definitely worth having a look at that. Yeah. Brilliant. And thank you to them. Thank you very much to the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust for all that work that they do, both in football generally and on our behalf, because I think it's really important. And they're very clear. Health in the middle of a global pandemic is the most important thing. However, if you're running this cup final, don't do it without us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's brilliant. Do give that a, a, a check out, everyone. Um, look, let's hope when we're talking again in a week's time that we're reviewing a fantastic victory over Man United. Eh? Wouldn't that be nice? And a tactical masterclass and a great defensive performance. That would be lovely. Um, <laughs> I'll try to remain positive. Uh, until then, whatever happens, future's bright, future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football, and I always thought that football was a very important game, but I never realized until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain, and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. That is schoolboy's own stuff. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future, what was, what is, what's next. We are Blanchflower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do.